It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. We're getting you ready for the game on The Build-Up with news from around the league, interviews, highlights, and more. Here's your host, Ted Ramey. All right, what's happening, everybody? And welcome as we get you ready for tonight's game against Florida from the tank, 7.30 start time, 7 o'clock live pregame right here on the Sharks Audio Network. Dan Rusinowski back in the broadcast booth tonight after taking Sunday off to be rightfully inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. This year's recipient of the Foster Hewitt Memorial Award. Dan, congratulations. You deserve that honor as much as anyone ever could. And congratulations to Nick Nolenberger for him making his NHL regular season debut, filling in for Dan on Sunday. So it's all smiles on the audio network as we've had some fun stuff happening lately. And also please check out the special we did on Dan Rusinowski. It's essentially an hour of everyone talking about what an incredible man and broadcaster Dan is. I encourage you to listen to that. Right now, though, we're going to get into some hockey talk. All right, we are now joined on the Sharks Audio Network by the hockey guy. Of course, you know him from his incredible videos on YouTube. And if you're not watching him, you really need to be because it's just, uh, I'll embarrass you, man. It's it's a great watch, and uh, I think everybody should be watching but uh you know we're we're in november uh you know, how, how are you feeling about this hockey season so far are you uh are things playing out the way you imagined or have you been surprised with some of the early season results there's there's been definitely some surprises uh the oilers a surprise in the negative uh thought they'd be a lot better uh been surprised by how well the ducks have played through a lot of the early season uh, out east, it's it's kind of the way we might have thought, although Boston's better than anyone had expected before the season started. And Detroit looks like maybe they'll stick around in the playoff picture. So, I mean, you always get surprises. What gets me is we've got a lot of hat tricks and a lot of shutouts. That's the oddity is there's a lot of shutouts and there's a lot of games where there's there's a lot of goal scoring going on as well. Well, the hard, I mean, it's early season, so you, you never know what to make of these micro trends. And like one of the articles I saw the other day, and I'm not trying to um, get on this writer's case or anything, because I think it was after the Kings beat Vegas 4-1 and LA looked great. And it was this sudden talk of LA looks like a contender. And my reaction is always like, I don't know, we're 15 games in roughly. Like, do we know what a contender looks like at this point? Because I... I am the one side of the spectrum that's like, let's dip our toe in the water when it's January or when we're, you know, when we're, right. when we've seen a yeah. much greater amount of hockey, but I mean, they have looked good. Where are you on these early season prognostications? The, the odd part with the Kings is on the road, they're seven and oh, on the road, they look absolutely fantastic. Full 60 minutes playing great at home. It's hot garbage. They're one, three and three. I don't know if they're trying to be too fancy at home. I don't know if there's some other reason that they're not playing as well as at home, but it is a totally different story between them on the road and them at home. If they can play at home like they do on the road, yeah, they're a contender. But until they do, it, it, I mean, it really depends on whether you're glass half full or glass half empty. And for me, it, I'm kind of up in the air. It, it does make it difficult because on the road, they're excellent. 
Let me ask you about the Oilers, because that's the the hot one at the moment. And I grew up the son of a sports broadcaster as well, and he would always tell me, well, Ted, you can't fire the team. The axe has to fall somewhere. But this is what I have a hard time wrapping my head around, is how does Jay Woodcroft go from being one of the winningest coaches since he had been in that position to suddenly being the issue, especially, and I know this is an easy point to make, but it's where we do look. If the net mining had been closer to a league average, we could have ascribed many more wins to what we'd seen to the Oilers up to this point. So what happens next with them? Where where do you look at with Jay in this situation? Because I just, I have so many minds about it. Because I do understand, like, sometimes a change has to be made, but I don't know if the coach is always the change. Usually is. Uh, the first, I remember the first time watching hockey where I got upset about a coaching change was when the Canucks fired Roger Nielsen. And it wasn't that long after they went to the Stanley Cup final with Roger Nielsen. But, uh, and and again, the Canucks was a similar situation. The team was was just bad. And so they replaced the coach, replaced the coach. And it happened over and over and over again. Um, I don't think Woodcroft was the problem in Edmonton. It, it sounds like Jeff Jackson really wanted uh knoblock mm-hmm. but if you really wanted knoblock why not make the move sooner like if you decided woodcroft's not your coach if that was the idea make the move before the season i mean i know it would have been controversial but if if that's your guy and if you've known that's your guy uh i know in vancouver we had that last year with boudreaux it was clear talk was coming in and it took forever for them to actually go oh yeah talk the guy we we know we we knew that months ago so uh, it it is odd, and and it does come down to you you can't fire the, like I kept seeing. Oh, they need to make a blockbuster trade. How in this right. in this it has to be dollar in dollar out. So how do you make that blockbuster trade? Who are you trading? And right now, Edmonton, you wouldn't have much value with a lot of the players who aren't named McDavid and Drysital, and they're not getting traded. Yeah, I mean it's so where where do you think they go from here? I mean, can this team? I guess talent you would say this team can recover but they've dug themselves quite a hole they have uh now last night's game over the islanders i thought that was one of the best games that they've played which is which is gonna then play into the idea of hey see the coaching change work but it's one game uh skinner looked good as well last night and and maybe sometimes the embarrassment of knowing you got your coach fired makes players play better Mm-hmm. Uh, the Oilers, I still think they need a little bit more depth up front or a little bit more uh, production from from guys who aren't producing right now. Mm-hmm. Even though McDavid's, I think, still, I think he's hurt. I think he's playing hurt. Y- you need other guys to produce that aren't McDavid and Dreisaitl. I, I do think there's it's still early enough they can turn it around, but it, it is it is not going to be easy for them. I will say I just saw McDavid in person last week. There were times where he did look like he was shot out of a cannon. I mean, he was not, and listen, he's had some great games against the Sharks in recent memory, and this was not one of them because the Sharks won. But it's hard. Sometimes the disparity between his speed and everyone else's is so alarming that I have trouble wrapping my head around the, oh, he's injured, you know, thing. Because I I don't know. He just, he didn't look at that said, he was not as impactful as he's been in the past. No, the points, the points haven't been there and is, um, his ability to just drive to the net through everybody. It, I, I, it really hasn't been there lately. So I, I do think there's something, something nagging at him. I think he's, he's playing through it. Mm-hmm. And I think he feels like 
you know, probably looking at the team's record and thinking to himself, I have to go in there and fix this. I'm the captain. I'm the best player. I have to go in there and fix this. Let's switch to the Sharks now. And we know they just came off of a couple horrific losses. Uh, they gave up a 10 spot in back-to-back games. Hadn't happened for almost 60 years. Yep. And then they bounced back and they won two straight games, beating the Oilers as well as Philadelphia. They've had a couple of rough results from then, um, and now they find themselves back home tonight against a good Florida team. Obviously, a lot of people were saying before the season began, this was one of the uh, worst, if not the worst, rosters in the cap era or modern era, however you want to describe it. Um, my take has always been like, well, we got to see what it turns into because it's it's easy to make those prognostications. However, I mean, we've seen the goal-scoring disparity. We have seen their lack of offensive production. Um, are they going to give those 92-93 Sharks a run for their money in terms of the worst season in franchise history? Uh, for the Sharks to win games, they have to outwork the opposition, and they have to really outwork the opposition. And they have to... Um, I mean, it It was a hot mic moment, but when you hear a coach yelling from the bench to stop chasing offense, and I'm cutting out the swear words that were in there... But that's what San, San Jose has to play, basically a modern version of the trap. They're going to have to keep the games as low scoring and low event as possible. If they can do that and if they can stay within their systems, they will probably win more than the 11 games that the Sharks won in, in that second year. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be pretty. Like, it's not going to be pretty hockey unless Hoffman gets going, unless Duclair gets on a bit of a run, unless one of the guys who's done it before suddenly is able to do it again or maybe you know Eklund goes on quite the run himself uh it it, it is going to be a long year I, I I find them I find it more interesting to watch the games when they're at least close mm-hmm. like even against Vegas like Vegas does blow them out but I thought they did well considering uh and with the roster that they have I mean we knew when the Carlson trade went down that they weren't going to be very good because Carlson was fantastic last year and and won them games by himself yeah but and and then when you look at the return, you get Rudy, you get you get Granlund, you're getting guys who are on contracts that other teams, you know, are trading out. Uh, I, I I do think they'll probably end up with more than the eleven wins, but it it's not going to be pretty. Why do you think there's been so much of a reduced output from a lot of these guys who are not playing to their career point per game average? Like we know Granlund can be a pretty big point production guy. He hasn't had that. Hoffman, we know he has more ability than what he's shown so far. Duclair, he's been out sick the last couple of games. Um, and then also they haven't had Logan Couture in the lineup, which I think right. you know has a cascading effect. So yeah. will there be a regression to these players' means in terms of what they could be producing? Or is this a mixture of a lot of new guys who haven't played together with uh, just overall a, a reduced level of talent? There's There's probably some of that, that there's a familiarity issue there. Um, a lot of guys who've come in, uh, the, the blue line is, is pretty rough. Um, I thought the addition of Addison was a smart move because Addison can be a power play point man. Uh, the defensive side, it it's not where Dean Evison wanted it. So I think that's why the move was made. I was honestly kind of surprised Addison was still in Minnesota to start the year after how many times Evison sat him out last year, even when he was producing Evison, mm-hmm. not happy with the defensive side of it. Uh, I, I do think the production will come around. Uh, I think Blackwood's fantastic. I, I don't know with Kakinen. He's had a couple of down years. The 
the one thing I noticed with them was in the back-to-back losses where they allowed 10 goals, they just looked defeated. So mm-hmm. you'd look at that bench and there was no emotion. There was no chat and it, they just, that, that was just done. Um, if, if David Quinn had been there for four or five years, I would say, you know, they might make a change at coach. I, I don't think there's any chance of that. He's only been there for, you know, a little over a season, mm-hmm. but it, yeah, they just, it's the body language was not good during those losses. It's been better since then. It feels like since Mike Greer went in and kind of read them the riot act that maybe that woke some of them up. Well, I think the, I'm not taking this to anyone else on the sharks, but I think that's where the lack of Logan Couture is maybe particularly felt because, you know, he's not always the most vocal guy in, um, you know, obviously I don't see the private moments, but he's not, I haven't particularly seen him as a screamer, but everybody knows his intensity and his will to win. And I feel like that has a, an effect that can kind of permeate the rest of the team. And that's, I mean, this isn't to overlook what he does on the ice because he's a two-way player. Um, You know, he does what's asked of him in particular. It's not flashy, but it's, it sets a tone, and when you take his tone setting off the ice and you take that kind of permeation of his will to win, I think that's part of that defeated mentality that you saw in those games. Like, I don't if, – if Couture is in there, those games, and I could be pining for a reality that didn't occur, but I do think if Couture was in those games, you, you're probably not giving up 10 spots in consecutive games. Maybe just one, but probably not two. Uh, Couture definitely would make a huge difference. Um, I mean, with Couture, I've always been impressed by how he would play through injury. Um, There was that, you know, incident in the playoffs where basically his face is a mess and he just throws on a cage and out he goes and keeps playing. And like, I just, I've always been nothing but impressed with Couture's toughness and his willingness to play through injury. So I have no doubt that's making a difference to San Jose as well. Um, I, I I don't know how much longer I haven't heard any updates on Couture either. So I, I, I still think they're going to end up getting past that 11 win mark. I don't know if they hit 20. I think they ended up with 19 last year. I could see them having 15 or 16 this year, but the sooner Couture gets back, it will probably make things better. It'll make hurdle a better player. It'll make the guys who've played with him, um, it'll elevate their game. They'll they'll win their share of games here and there. Just it's it's going to be a long year. When the Pens were in town, Eric Carlson did allude to the fact that Colorado had to go through this, Tampa had to go through this. We've seen Detroit go through it. We've seen the Kings and Anaheim go through it. Um, in one of your more recent videos, you alluded to the fact that the Sharks do have a lot of cap space coming up. So how how quickly do you think? The Sharks can get out of this A and then B with what Mike Greer has been doing with been acquiring draft picks with, you know, getting them a lot of guys into the farm system and, you know, trying to deal with some of these big money deals and get them off the books. Has he been doing it in a way that you would perceive as the right way? I think he was painted into a corner a bit with with Carlson, especially getting rid of that contract. Not easy. And he did it. Uh, so that was that was a major victory, I think, for him. Uh, they do have the cap space. You also have Will Smith coming up. Will Smith looks like he's going to be a star in the NHL. And I, I, I do think that with this year's draft, it's not seen as deep as last year's. But if they want to draft lottery and if they did draft like Celebrini, that's another good young piece there. Uh, it really is a matter of how quickly you can build up the blue line. I don't think the forward group is as rough as their... 1.2 goals per game would dictate. I think they're a little bit better than that. 
Um, I think it's if he can add a couple of legitimate top four blue liners this coming off season with that mm-hmm. cap space. And, you know, then you use your draft picks, you use that capital. I, I think the turnaround could be two years where they get back into at least, you know, 500 range and, and being a decent team again, it's, it's going to, it's going to require some creativity, but since the sharks have the cap space, he can, he can really maximize that at the trade deadline. So you go specifically with the blue line. That would be your first area just to get more just top end talent there, I guess. They've, they've got to get the goals against down. Uh, they, there's just, yeah, that, that blue line is rough. I think there's, you can cobble together a decent forward group with what they have, but that is, that is a rough blue line. And then I think you can, you can make Blackwood your starter for a while. Blackwood's still young by goalie standards. And then you figure out, okay, so the backup position, what's that going to look like, you know, two years, three years down the road, if they can get a really competent backup as well. Um, unless, I mean, Kakadin could still turn around this season and prove to be the guy, but that's, that's where I think they should be focusing in the upcoming 12 months. When those back-to-back 10 spot losses happened, a lot of people were asking questions about David Quinn. And I I know you alluded to the fact that he's not going to be out after barely over a season at this point. Um, but what do you think of, of David Quinn and what he's been able to do with the sharks up to this point? And my go-to has always been like, He's been put in a rough spot, and I'm I'm yeah. not here to absolve David Quinn of yeah. anything, in particular because obviously the coach always plays a, a hand in what happens. But I I always say like he's he's been put in a rough spot. Like it's not been an easy task for him. Yeah, it's it's hard to grade. I think um, their efforts since the back to back ten goals have been better. I think you have to look at the team's effort, the team's. Um, level of frustration and and trying to make sure that doesn't come out on the ice and you're not taking a lot of careless penalties as a result and i i think the comparison for me would be like luke richardson in chicago i think luke richardson's done a very good job coaching in chicago even though the record's not very good because they play well they play a system um tortorella has philadelphia playing a system as well and while they may not win very many games either um, I, I, I look at San Jose sort of the same way, as long as they're playing that system, as long as there's hard work, like we've seen in the last few games, I, I don't think you can say anything about whether or not Quinn's job should be on the line because another coach isn't going to get more wins out of them. Mm-hmm. Another coach isn't magically going to de-age some of the older players or suddenly make everything better. So it's the easy option to fire the coach like, you know, with Edmonton. Uh, I don't think it would necessarily help San Jose. Maybe it's something you look at at the end of the year and see where where everybody's at, but at this point it wouldn't make any difference. Anything you've seen with Tomas Hurdle up to this point, he has just not scored the goals at the same rate he did. He had a slow start last year as well and then you know, kind of had it coming on. Is this, you know, obviously when he was younger, he had more talent around him, um, but still I just don't think he's looked quite like himself up to this point of the year. Is this just like we alluded to the lack of familiarity and we imagine things will improve as we get deeper into the season? There's some of that. There's also, there's, there's players who are really good as, as complimentary pieces of a line. He may just not be a player that drives the line. So maybe once Couture gets back into the lineup, Couture pairs up with Hurdle, all of a sudden Hurdle's getting those goals again. Um, it, it's just, it, it is interesting because hurdle for me is he's a good top six forward. I think he can, he can score you 30 goals in a season. He can be a very effective forward. I, I don't see him as like your go-to number one guy. So maybe once Couture comes back, 
he helps to to improve Hurdle's game as well. All right, man. Well, we will leave it there. I appreciate your time as always, and I will bug you again soon. All right? All right. Thank you. Again, that is the hockey guy of YouTube fame. If you're not watching his videos, I highly, highly suggest you do. He's a very well-researched, informed individual, very entertaining as well. We are out of time. Remember, 7 o'clock pre, 7.30 start time, the Sharks hosting the Panthers. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey signing off. This podcast can be found for download under Sharks Hockey Digest on iTunes, Google, and Spotify. And on demand anytime on the Sharks Plus SAP Center app presented by Western Digital. All music by Yogi Yen.